902 Brewing Company is the official beer of the Wager Pager podcast. Our friends over at 902 are putting out some of the best local craft beer in the Garden State. Log on to 902brewing.com to check out some of our favorite beers, like Juicy City IPA and Path Pale Ale. Or come grab a growler at the 902 Brewing Company tap room opening soon on Pacific Avenue in Jersey City, New Jersey. Are you tired of losing at sports betting? Start winning with Kingpin.pro. With Kingpin.pro, you can follow proven sports bettors and handicappers. Each user is required to put in their picks prior to each game. Kingpin scores and ranks users for total winnings, not units, as well as win percentage. This gives you, the sports better, the ability to follow not just winning cappers, but more importantly, consistent winning cappers. You can easily get instant notifications of picks by downloading the Kingpin.pro iOS or Google Play app. Download the app and register with promo code WAGER. That's promo code WAGER, and you'll get a 10% discount off your purchase. Get pumped, get psyched. It's the Wager Pager podcast with Chris Rogers and Brock Landers. What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Wager Pager Pod, where we talk sports gambling, make picks, and conduct must-hear interviews with some of the sharpest minds in the industry. I'm your host, Chris Rogers. You can follow me on Twitter at WagerPagerChris, and please follow the podcast on the gram and Twitter at the Wager Pager. This is Season 2, Episode 18, the last episode of 2019, recording live from Van Voorst Film Studio here in Hoboken, New Jersey. That's right. We're coming to you from the mecca of sports gambling, our home state of New Jersey that won the Supreme Court battle and made the regulation of sports betting all possible. We have another special episode for you guys this week. It's NFL Wild Card Weekend. We've got one of our favorite NFL handicappers, Adam Chernoff, returning to the show to help us break down the entire wild card slate because there's no one better to do it with. But first, joining me, my co-host, one of the sharpest gamblers I know, my guy with 19 New Jersey betting outs and someone who finished in the money at the 2019 DraftKings Super Contest. Here he is, the Derek Harper of Gambling Twitter, Brock Landers. Good to be back, Chris. Thank you for that wonderful introduction as usual. You could follow me on Twitter at BrockLanders41. Derek Harper, great Mav, had his number uh, retired, I believe, a year or two ago. I remember that. They did it against the Knicks. Very fitting. He was a former Nick as well. Uh, yeah, played with Rolando uh, Blackman back in the day. And uh, yeah. Rolando Blackman. I almost used that reference tonight. I wasn't oh, okay. sure if that was a little before your time or not. No, but, that uh, one works too. Derek Harper, uh, 11th overall pick in the 1983 NBA draft. Uh, like you said, 16 seasons as a point guard in the league with the Dallas Mavericks, New York Knicks, Orlando Magic, and the Lakers. Harper, widely regarded as one of the best players to have never selected to an All-Star game. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So how you been, man? What's your gambling life going like? I'm kind of down in the dumps. Had a rough couple weeks here. Uh, my big play on Ohio State lost. Oh. Affected uh, the bankroll, affected some futures uh, positions. Wild uh, game. Yeah, just wild. What do you think? Was that a fumble? Like, you know, I look at it a couple different angles. 
uh, you can make the case for both. That was a real bang bang close one. Uh, it could have went either way. It sucked that it really changed the tide of the game, and everybody that was on uh, Ohio State kind of looked back to that and said that was what did it. Um, but yeah, really good game in the end. Couldn't ask for a better finish for that. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, you lost some money there. But um, hey, it is what it is. You win some, you lose some. Two other big plays in that game: the uh, the targeting penalty, which mm-hmm. I guess you know it was targeting, but I don't know if that was targeting three, five years ago. Right. You know, the game has changed, and and plays like that are major momentum shifters. And then the other play when Trevor Lawrence took off for the 63 yard scamper or something like that, that was just a backbreaker. Yeah, and the the thing was, too, that final drive that they had there in the end, uh, I've never seen a team move down the field that quickly. That was that was insane, that, that drill they did there in the end. Um, but we got a good national championship uh, in a couple of weeks, Clemson, LSU. That should be a lot of fun. Everybody riding that LSU uh, hype train. But uh, I already made some bets on Clemson, six, six and a half. Yeah, Clemson plus the points looking pretty good. Uh, I don't know if their LSU is going to throw up another 63 burger like they did on Oklahoma. I couldn't believe Oklahoma was just outmatched that bad. Unbelievable, man. I thought they were going to hang with them a little bit, maybe, you know, somehow get in the backdoor cover there, but halftime came, that game was well over. Uh, Boomer Sooner, RIP. Yeah. Not going to happen this year, but we're looking ahead to the national championship game. This is Wild Card Weekend. We got a really fun guest this week, Adam Chernoff. He's been all over Visa in the last couple of weeks, so uh, good guy to have on. Yeah, looking forward to talk to uh, Adam. Uh, he's got a great little podcast that he does there, uh, The Simple Handicap. Yeah, yeah, The Simple Handicap. It's a daily podcast, and he kind of breaks down line movements and stuff like that. Really good stuff, so really a pleasure to have him on the show this week. And uh, how about Week 17, Chris? You watch any of those games? I thought it was a pretty awesome Week 17 all, all together. A lot of storylines, a lot of weird games, a couple things changing in the playoff race. The finale last night was really good. Um, yeah, i I big fan of Week 17. Yeah, finally. Uh, week 17 usually is kind of a sleeper, like uh, not much going on. But for once this year, there was a lot of action. I can't say I got involved too much. I, I'm just been on a, I've been on a major sports gambling uh, bender slash uh, hangover. Uh, just I'm not even I'm not even motivated to play anymore, Brock. What's wrong with me? Yeah, I, I, you'll get it back. You'll get it back. 2020 is right around the corner. A chance <laughs> to start fresh. You'll you'll pick back up. Don't worry. It's the you know bowl season. Yeah, I think a Wild Card Weekend is a nice little chance to uh, get back in it, <laughs> recharge the battery. We got a great guest this week, Adam Chernoff, guys, looking ahead to Wild Card Weekend with the Wager Pager Podcast. All right, guys, this next interview with Adam Chernoff is proudly presented by our sponsor, 902 Brewing Co. Holy smokes. We layered this imperial stout with some of our favorite dark malts to bring out a very roasty flavor. Graham cracker in the mash, lactose in the boil, and marshmallow and cacao nibs in the tanks make for a sweet, easy drinking imperial stout. I'm drinking Campfire Imperial Stout tonight, Brock. Gotta be careful because it is 10.6% alcohol and it goes down smooth. What are you drinking, man? Ooh, that's a uh, that's high alcohol percent there, Chris. Those will knock you down. I've got uh, the New England IPA, Juicy City, six point two percent, and uh, this is the the uh, beer that they crafted, Chris, uh, to celebrate the Jersey City construction kickoff. 
And in here, you got some Amarillo, Citra, uh, Mosaic, delicious stone fruit, tropical citrus flavor, minimal bitterness to keep it a true New England IPA style. Great stuff here from 902 Brewing Co. Store cold, drink fresh. All right, guys, this week's guest is making his second appearance on the pod. We like to lean on him when it comes to the NFL, and Wild Card Weekend is here. You may know him as the voice of The Simple Handicap, airing every morning on iTunes and Spotify. Or you may know him from his appearances on VEASAN's Follow the Money or from the NFL work he does with Pinnacle and Matchbook. Here he is, professional handicapper and friend of the pod, Adam Chernoff. You guys can follow Adam on Twitter, at Adam Chernoff. What's up, man? Welcome back to the Wager Pager. Thanks for having me on. Your theme song is a heck of a lot better than anything I've ever produced. So I don't know if it's still dingling in the background, but if it is, uh, it's a pretty good way to lead into the interview. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, that was produced by uh, Mercedes' brother, uh, Sam Barba. Got to give him a shout out there. Um, welcome back to the pod. It's a NFL wildcard weekend. I'm here with my new co-host, Brock Landers. What's going on, Adam? I think, uh, actually, when you made your way to New Jersey, I was uh, trying to help you find the sports book. You were on the other side. I think I was tweeting at you. Yeah, I got lost somewhere between the stadium and the racetrack on the wrong side of it as the sun was going down. So it was a fun... I, I cut a full lap of the track, so there wasn't there wasn't anyone watching or anything exciting, <laughs> but uh, it was quite the maze to sort of weave through to get where we were going. It's Adam Chernoff coming around the bend. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's uh, Brock and I. That's that's one of our favorite pastimes, man, to really trash fan duel because we, it's right in our backyard and it's one of the more uh, obscure sports books you'll ever visit. Yeah, it was um, a, an interesting experience, I guess, to put it into context with everything else we saw for first timers in the state. So interesting is is it. All right, as we mentioned uh, at the top here, this is Adam's second appearance. But for any of the new listeners, why don't we do a little quick background here? Tell us a little bit about how you first got involved with sports gambling. Yeah, that, uh, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. Um, it was I left just shortly after high school, a couple days out, um, on a one-way ticket to the Dominican Republic, and that was almost a decade ago now. And I was just seeing how long I could potentially go, didn't really have a plan, and was sort of introduced into the wide open world of sports betting and just gambling in general down in the island and ended up through a lot of luck and weird circumstances, ended up um, meeting some people who... And they, they own just small gambling houses and they run refurbished slot machines out of Southern Florida to Central America, the Caribbean, as well as South America. And, and I made it for about three and a half months down there with a very makeshift, um, done by hand sort of operation. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, ended up doing that for a few months went back to the Dominican and didn't speak to anyone for a little while. was just sort of doing my own thing with some money I saved up through that. And then ended up getting into the much higher stakes world within the Bahamas, working for at first a big web shop operation. And that led to me actually learning what's what and how to maneuver around a bookmaking operations, set numbers, manage risk. And it was sort of a crash course in that. 
led to me running numbers and setting odds for three different shops down there um, over the course of four and a half years. Went through about five NFL seasons in total. And then since since then, uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind between living in Colombia, uh, working within the lottery world and running a little operation there to coming back to Canada and sort of resetting and just getting back to living a much, a much quieter lifestyle betting on sports. So between betting and, and making some content, which I enjoy. So that's a pretty fascinating start. I mean, you, you kind of, you know, sometimes people learn through books and, you know, learn from, you know, listening to podcasts and stuff like that. You pretty much learned from the bookmaking side of it, and now you're pretty much on the other side almost of the counter. Is that how you would explain it, Adam? Well, I started off, and it was really somewhat by accident. I grew up in a very small town in Saskatchewan, Canada, and if you're listening and you have no idea where that is, I wouldn't blame you. Um, but if you're in the States, <laughs> Just to put some sort of relevance around it, if you go to the furthest north, you can go in North Dakota, and then you keep driving for about another five and a half hours. Um, that's where I grew up. So it was a town of about 2,500 people. Wow. Um, there were more people in the cemetery than there were in the town. So wow. Put how small the town was <laughs> in, in sort of perspective. And I ended up moving from there seen in Alberta with over a million people. So it was a bit of a shock for me and a lot of the things that I was involved with growing up, playing sports, uh, a lot of stuff outside of school and everything just weren't, were no longer an option just because of the price that they came with or the availability. But with sports really being a big passion of mine growing up, uh, that sort of transitioned into me getting involved on like betting forums back in the day, places like BRX, Major Wager, SBR, Covers, Capper's Lounge. Uh, there were a lot of sort of sports communities online. I was still super young at the time, but I sort of learned my way through betting in that perspective. Uh, I look back at what I know now and it was laughable, but that's really where I started to spend a lot of my time. So it was a, it wasn't as much of a whim as it sounded with leaving high school shortly after and trying to see what I could do, either betting on sports or doing anything within the industry. Never expected to end up on the bookmaking side of things, but I'm certainly glad that I did because that really rounded out a lot of how I look and think about games and has led me to find success betting that I didn't necessarily have prior to that experience. So very cool, Adam. Uh, let's fast forward to uh, this day and age. What is your current process like? What kind of handicapper are you? Can you kind of take us through a day in the life of Adam Chernoff? Yeah, I, I've tried to sort of outline that in a, a little notebook I put together. And I, I don't know how I ended up doing what I do, Paul, but it's sort of been like, I almost feel like a lot of the stuff I did was in my head in the last sort of two years. I've really tried to sort of outline it and put sort of a process to it so I can repeat it and refine it and become better at what I do. So for NFL specifically, and, and this expands into other sports, uh, I like to look at NFL games from five different categories. And, I, and it's a way that I follow sort of handicapping games when I fill out all five categories and then I weight them respectively. So the five categories are numbers, on-field analysis, information, situations, and then narrative. And what I try to do is rather than like looking at a number, what I like to do is fill out all five of those categories, which I feel represent the five different types of betters within a market. And then a big picture view of how these five different types of 
uh, betters within the market are looking at the game. And then I use that to sort of anticipate where the numbers are going to go, how prices are going to move, um, how matchups are going to be viewed from different people within the market. And that allows me to really improve on timing, uh, market entry, finding the best price, anticipating the movement, which is something that I struggled with a lot earlier on. I would consistently be taking bad numbers on what I thought were good handicaps. So this is a way that I follow it every day. If it's a typical NFL week, um, I'm usually three to four days if everything's going well in advance of when the numbers first open the board in terms of completing my handicap. So I like to have it a couple days in advance. So if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the week of games, um, I'm really finishing everything up for that coming Sunday. And then late midweek is when I start working on the week in advance. So it, it really depends on the specific type of day it is. But um, I don't spend nearly as much time at the screen as I think a lot of people will do. I hear stories about guys spending 12, 14, 16 hours. I certainly put in the hours at the computer and, and pulling up information and doing what I can. But for me, it's a lot of doing work by hand and just sort of getting the thoughts out of my head in an organized format, which I can use to take into the market and find spots to bet on. Very interesting. Great stuff there from Adam. Um, Adam, if there's one thing that you could recommend to someone that's just starting out in the sports gambling world, we see a lot of novices here in New Jersey since it's so new. Uh, anything you could kind of recommend to them over anything else? I, I get asked this question a bunch, and I, I don't know if I've ever had like a solid go-to answer. I think what it's becoming more and more of is to acknowledge what kind of better you are and sort of work within that. And I guess what I mean is, as my sort of reach and, and my show has grown a little bit and I have more and more people coming in and commenting, the one thing I notice in a lot of the messages or emails that they're trying to do too much or be someone that they, they are not. And so if you're a better and you're doing this for fun and you have a small credit line with a local bookmaker or you just put in a small deposit into one of the apps or the sports books, and you're just doing it to try create a little extra income, have some fun, however it may go that might not necessarily affect you. There's value in maximizing that to either maximize your enjoyment or to try get as much income out of it as you can within sort of the means of your bankroll and what you're doing. Where, where I start to see problems is people will have that, but they want to sort of be at the professional level, which not only takes a lot of time to get there, but you have to have um, you have to go through, in my opinion, a lot of losing streaks to get there. You can't just start and say, okay, I'm going to turn into a professional and do this for a living. For me, a lot of my learning anyway came through really dumb decisions, losing a lot of money and looking like an idiot with some of the bets that I've placed. And so I think when you're just starting out specifically, if you got a bank or you got that deposit, like acknowledge where you're at, have a little bit of self-awareness to your situation and just bet and play within that situation. And over time, as you get more familiar with things and more comfortable, you're going to grow and, and, and improve on what you do and your bankroll is going to grow alongside with you. So I guess the short answer to sum that up is where you are, but don't try do more than, more than you're, you're willing to have and try just work through and establish a process. It doesn't matter what it is, but if you can repeat it, you'll very quickly learn what is and isn't working and you'll refine something out much like I did. It took me the better part of seven, eight years to get it to where it's a comfortable level. So if you're starting out now, just work within what you have, 
acknowledge what you're doing and, and over time know that that process will work itself out for you. Tremendous stuff, guys, as usual, from Adam Chernoff here on the Wager Pager podcast. You guys can follow Adam on Twitter, at Adam Chernoff. If you don't mind now, Adam, let's dive into a NFL wildcard weekend. That's why we brought you on. You're, you're one of our favorite NFL experts. Let's look in here. Let's kick it off with the first game. Uh, looking at Saturday, Saturday, 4.35 p.m. kickoff, we have uh, the Buffalo Bills playing the Houston Texans in Houston. Number five, Buffalo. Number four, Houston. We got, we're got we looking at three right now here in Jersey. What are you looking at on your board? So all of the numbers this week in terms of openers were extremely unusual and much different than what I've sort of been used to seeing over the last 10 years in terms of who led out with the price, but also some of the prices that we saw. So there was a three and a half that opened on this game that was an interesting choice because I don't think that any book was really forced to give up that hook immediately. And that was taken within two minutes. That was gone. And then other books opened up at a flat three. The move to me that really stands out right now is this morning, Beck Chris, who's really dictating the market for the whole and has been for about the last two seasons. I know some people will say it goes further than that, but, and now they're down to two and a half. So that, that move off of the three this morning was interesting because there, there was already a three and a half available and this number was tilting back towards three and a half. And if you're liking Buffalo, which we'll get into a second, why a lot of people are, uh, I think there was reason to wait and potentially see this get back to three and a half. So it's a three most places, but the ones that I'm really looking at are two and a half right now, and I think that's pretty telling in and of itself. So, Adam, what do you, what do you think? Uh, any 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 leans on this game, Houston Buffalo, in terms of sides or total? Sure. So, really deep sort of handicap that you can go into depending which way you're initially leaning on this price. So, uh, Whale Capper, who I think you guys have had on the show a couple different times, a very popular follow on Twitter. Um, him and I do some work together on other videos and he sent over this chart that he created and I, I recommend checking it out. I believe it's posted online as well. But what he did was look at the look ahead point spreads that were set way back in summer for every game this week. And then he compared that sort of price line to every single closing spread throughout the course of the season. Wow. And what it turns into is like a giant power rating that adjusts week by week based on where the numbers were and where the numbers closed. So Buffalo started the season three points worse than a league average team, and they adjusted the league average in week four. From week five to 16, they were never one point better nor worse than league average. We're looking at the Bills, who have been at a stable price point now for 11 weeks to finish the season. And I think for a lot of cases, that, that price point has turned out to be low, when you look at their ATS record where they've covered nine games a season, pushed another one. So it makes sense that that sort of bumped up. Houston, on the other hand, they were as high as four and a half points better and as low as average right on the nose. So they've sort of fluctuated a lot. And then it's not a surprise to see them probably overpriced many points during the season where that number came back down. They were seven and eight against the spread with a push as well. So two very different price point perspectives here. But when we talk about just numbers, moving a point spread Buffalo and net yards per play perspective. If you find the net yards per play, you can divide that differential by 0.2 and you're going to get a very accurate point spread on a neutral field. So in this case, 
Buffalo plus 0.5 in net yards per play, not counting week 17 where the starters sat, same thing for Houston, it would imply that they're about two and a half points better on a neutral. So it's not a surprise to see this number initially get, get bet down. And when you're looking at something this early in the week, there's not a lot of handicapping that goes into what affects the price. This is just people blindly taking the number. And I think that that's what's really fueling a lot of this line move down initially for the Buffalo Bills. But the big thing here for Houston, it's all about the injury report. Offensively, Will Fuller, is he has as big of an impact on an offensive unit as any other player in the league that's not a quarterback. When we look at expected points added for Deshaun Watson on dropbacks with Fuller on the field, there's 337 plays this season. Watson had a 78.2 EPA. With Fuller not on the field, 247 plays, Watson was minus 4.3. So the impact that Fuller has is absolutely enormous because it allows the Houston Texans to play matchup football along with Watson in the backfield and potentially Duke Johnson or, or Hyde that's able to run the football. It, it forces a double team somewhere on the field. And then Houston's extremely good at scheming off of that double team and finding space on the other side of the field. So if Fuller can play in this game, that really magnifies that matchup advantage because Buffalo is going to be without their number two corner, Levi Wall non-contact injury against the New York Jets in week 17 was carted off the field. If Wallace isn't there as the number two corner and Fuller can play near full speed for the Houston Texans offense, that that's where Houston wants to go with the football, the number two and number three guys. If number two is not there, and Buffalo is forced to go to three and four to defend Houston out of three wide receiver sets, huge opportunity for Houston to move the football. On the other side, J.J. Watt likely to come back as well. His impact on the running game for Houston is absolutely enormous. Weeks one to eight with him on the field, Houston allowed opponents to gain 40% success rate on rushes, which was fifth in the NFL. So the difference between a elite run-stopping unit and an average run-stopping unit is all dependent on J.J. Watt, one player. And you also see this pressure rate drop off significantly, too, without Watt no in terms of generating pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So it's really two guys that are going to have an enormous impact on how Houston can play within this game. Buffalo likely to have a lot of success against this Texans defense, but you have to wonder about the trajectory they finished the season on. Last four weeks, not counting week 17, Buffalo was 31st in passing success rate, 27th in rushing success rate in those final four weeks. But Houston will be the third easiest opponent of the season for Buffalo in terms of defensive efficiency. Texans, they're the Texans 27th in that regard. And you look at Buffalo against comparable opponents. They played Miami twice and Cincinnati once. Those two teams, 32nd and 30th. Buffalo in those games scored 21, 31, and 37 points. If you expand that a little bit further and just look at Buffalo against teams in the bottom third of the league, so 21st or worse, and defensive efficiency, that adds on two more games to that sample where Buffalo scored 28 and 26 points. So we're looking at an average right near 30 points for Buffalo against teams in the bottom third of the NFL in defensive efficiency. So it's really all about the information that you're going to get on these two guys, Watt and Fuller, that are going to make all the difference. So whether you want to speculate or wait for practice reports tomorrow, handicapping this game is completely about those two guys and how it impacts this spot because if both are healthy, two and a half extremely short. 
If neither of them near 100%, then this line makes a lot more sense right around the pick or minus one. So something to think about if you're handicapping this game for sure that's going to depend on which side you're ultimately on. So uh, now we'll head to uh, Saturday night's game, uh, the Tennessee Titans coming into Foxborough. Uh, right now the Patriots somewhere around a uh, five, four and a half, uh, some spots even four. Um, just wanted to get your analysis there on that game. So I'm a bit surprised because usually when you go into the NFL playoffs, especially the wild card round, something that's extremely popular that will affect prices is quarterbacks making their first playoff start, especially on the road. And we're getting that here with Ryan Tannehill, but there almost seems to me that there's more disdain for the Patriots than there is support for the Tennessee Titans. And so we've seen this number sort of bounce around a bit of an irrelevant number gap between four and a half and five and a half, where you're looking at five as the nearest flat number, which isn't going to have much of an impact. So there's just sort of a jockeying for position within this market. And, and I'm not sure that I'm ready to sort of go and back Tennessee in this spot as a lot of betters are. I'm not quite there on the Patriots yet, but this is a game where you really have to look at which unit is going to overachieve because it's really a, a weird triangle of sort if you're breaking down the on-field analysis. So the New England Patriots get an extremely favorable matchup throwing the football, but then on the other side, New England gets an extremely difficult matchup defensively against the Tennessee Titans offense. So it's really weakness on weakness and strength on strength. So when you're handicapping this game, it's really going to come down to which unit do you think is going to overachieve? And for me, it's a little bit difficult not to make the case for New England and their passing to step up and have a good game in this situation. And if we look at only the numbers for pass defensive efficiency of opponents and make no adjustment for schedule, then the Tennessee Titans are the fourth easiest opponent for New England this season and the third easiest at home. If you look at New England in eight games this season against bottom third opponents in past defense efficiency, the Patriots have scored an average of 29 points. So when you look at the Tennessee Titans, they're 19th in pass success rate defense. And from an efficiency standpoint, they're 23rd. But I don't think that that truly represents just how poor this secondary is because th- these numbers have come against the eighth easiest schedule of opposing passers this season. So Tennessee for the course of the year has played three opponents that rank inside the top 10 uh, for pass efficiency offense. And in those games, they can see that 32, 24 and 30. So when you're looking at an average allowance of 31 points, it's pretty enormous. And you consider how well new England does against these weak secondaries, the prospect of new England scoring 24 to 28 plus in this game, was certainly not out of the realm of possibilities. If you're looking for a spot where one of these units can overachieve, I think you have to certainly look to the Patriots on offense because as good as the Titans have been with Tannehill since he took over for Mariota, third and pass success rate offense, 50% success rate, 9.6 yards per pass, 5.9 yards per carry for Henry. Certainly that matchup is there going against this New England defense. It's weaker against the run, but this is going to be the most difficult matchup for Tennessee this season in terms of an opposing defense by far for the season since, since uh, Tannehill took over Titans have only played two top 10 secondaries, Kansas city 
and Carolina. They lost 30-20 to 20 against Carolina. So the two times that this Titans offense has had to step up in class, they really struggled, especially throwing the football. And I'm not sure against the New England defense, as good as they are playing man coverage on the outside, they're not going to because Tannehill is extremely good against the Blitz. This Patriots team just drops into pure coverage for the majority of the game. I really think they can limit the explosive quality that this Titans offense has and really put the game on Henry running the football, which he's certainly going to pick up his yardage and have a great game. But when that's the main focal point of the offense, we've seen other teams do it to Tennessee a couple times this season, and that's just where they haven't been able to put up those big point totals and have ended up on the wrong side of the scoreboard. So, again, I'm not quite there yet. I see this at four and a half. I think it's going to go back up to five, five and a half. Uh, I'm probably going to make a decision on it quite quick, but I just, I, I can't get there with Tennessee. So we're looking at four and a half for New England. If you're giving them four points for home field and Foxborough in the playoffs, that's, uh, I don't think that's a stretch. I, I'm not, I'm just not sure I can get there yet with Tannehill going on the road to make his first playoff start against this Patriots defense, which is going to be the most difficult challenge for the Titans this season. So I'll probably end up on New England, but nothing here for me just yet. And you've got to think, I mean, uh, just to go with a a takeaway from there, as you brought up with the defense there, uh, Stephon Gilmore probably going to be covering A.J. Brown. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's just going to be a difficult matchup from that perspective. So it may force Tannehill to go elsewhere, but I'll be really interested to see if they ease up with man coverage. Obviously, something the Titans receivers are very good at playing into, and ease up on the blitz as well, which is where Tannehill tends to burn opposing defenses. So, if New England and just pure coverage, uh, it's a scary prospect to oppose. Yeah. All right, Adam, moving on to the NFC side of things here. 105 p.m. kickoff on Sunday, the early game. We have uh, number six, Minnesota. Facing off against the number three seeded New Orleans Saints, we're looking at uh, anything around seven, seven and a half, eight out here in New Jersey. What are you looking at? Any thoughts on market analysis or any leans on sides or totals? Yeah, Saints are pretty well sitting at eight across the board everywhere that matters. Um, we actually just recently, as we've been talking, we have seen the seven and a half show up. So. Sort of hovering between seven and a half and eight, we'll call it sort of a flat eight, but the total has been pummeled up, and I'm happy to have grabbed a ticket on that uh, as it was going up yesterday. Um, managed to get it at a couple different places, but this is probably a game that should have seen a total at 50 plus, and I think it's at a 49 at Chris right now. They're leading the way, so it's pretty clear what kind of move up this is. And really, it comes down to some misleading numbers on defense overall. And if we look at the Minnesota Vikings, I think that's where it's it really – they're 26th in the NFL for past defense success rate um, throughout the course of the season and 30th against the run. And the team gets a lot of I, – I, w- I wouldn't even go as far as the perception, but it's just it rarely gets illustrated – how big of a liability the secondary is coming for the Vikings. And I don't know if that's a Mike Zimmer thing that's carrying over or just some of the name value of players within that secondary, but uh, any team can throw the football on this Vikings defense. And when you consider it's the Saints on the other side and the number one pass success rate offense in the NFL for the course of the season at 53%, I mean, New Orleans is going to be able to do really whatever they want in the passing game. And when that's the case, 
that's really going to sort of accelerate the scoreboard, keep Minnesota from slowing things down. We know the Vikings run the football at the third highest rate in the NFL. They do so with a lot of efficiency, but when you're betting a total, you really want the Vikings to be playing catch up, which is where their pass rate increases significantly. And you're getting another very good passing offense, despite everything you're going about Kirk Cousins and his struggles in prime time and big games. This is a Vikings offense that just a few percentage points behind New Orleans at 50% success rates for the season. It's only a gap of 3%. That's the difference between first and fifth in the NFL. And the Vikings are extremely explosive too. Fourth highest rate of explosive pass plays in the NFL. That play action is deadly. And it negates a lot of what New Orleans can do up front, which is where they're very difficult to oppose for offenses. So if they can get the play action game working, that negates a lot of the pressure, puts uh, a lot of these receivers for Minnesota in favorable positions against the Saints secondary, which again, we look at sort of how the team finished the season. They were just league average 14th in the final four weeks of the season leading into these playoffs. They had some personnel changes in, in the secondary as well. So I think it's a spot where both offenses should have no issues moving the football. Uh, I'd like to see the Saints get an early lead for the sake of the total. I think we're seeing, again, this number suppressed quite a bit just because of sort of misleading defensive numbers from both of these teams, but also how they finished. We last saw Minnesota with their starters in that Monday night football game where they could barely get a first down against the Green Bay Packers. That's really bringing things down. But if we're looking at the body of work as a whole, uh, this is a pretty dynamic offense in Minnesota. So I think this is a game that plays into the 50s. Value pretty slim now in this total that's been bet up heavily. We're seeing a five-point move in some spots, so rightfully so in that regard. But certainly a game where we're going to see a lot of points. Excellent analysis there from Adam Chernoff. Uh, we'll go now to our final game wild card weekend. This one is going to be at 440 in Philadelphia. The Seattle Seahawks come to town. Adam, let's talk about this line. Some places opened up in a strange uh, three, I think, out there. Now, though, we're seeing Seattle minus two. Do you want to kind of talk a, a little bit about the line move there? <laughs> I wish I could put some sense behind that opener of three. That was, uh, again, it was just one of every side in total that hit the board for this weekend uh, was just, they were just strange numbers. There's no, I I wish I had a better adjective to describe it, but um, you could have potentially teased Philadelphia up, albeit for very low limits, uh, teased Seattle up, pardon me, uh, to plus eight and a half based on the opener. If you're just taking a six point teaser on what was available. So, I mean, you're looking at them now, two point favorites. We have a bit of a reference point. These two teams played in November uh, in Philadelphia as well. That was a spot where the same exact movement occurred. Philadelphia opened to two and a half point favorite. It was bet through zero. Seattle went off as the favorite. Same thing's happening here. Uh, but it, it really comes down to the injuries for Philadelphia. I don't think we need to dive into the wide receiver issues that they've been having. Those have been well documented. But now you see Miles Sanders, who's uh, questionable for this game. He's trending as day to day, but certainly if he's limited, there goes your most explosive offensive weapon. Zach Ertz still dealing with the number of injuries that he has. Seeing injuries to Nelson Aguilar as well in that game. There's some injuries in the second there. They could potentially be down two of their top corners. Uh, this is just uh, the same thing with the Eagles and has been for a number of weeks now where they just have so many different injuries that could ultimately happen them against the Seattle Seahawks team. Uh, but you look at the Seahawks overall, much like Minnesota, 
Like it's a very similar situation where you're looking at a team and this defense specifically in the secondary really doesn't get the press that they deserve for just how weak this unit is 25th in pass success rate defense. And this is a Seahawks team. If you flip all the one score games around, this is one of the more fascinating stats. They've won now uh, 10 games on the season by one score. You flip those results around Seahawks have, the worst record in the NFL. And I know that's wow. a bit of a stretch to do, but it puts in perspective how tight this team is played. They come into the NFL playoffs with the worst net yards per play differential of any playoff team. They have a point differential that's equal to what they put out. And it's just, there's, I have so many question marks about the Seahawks team that it's hard to sort of oppose them with Philadelphia because I think what's going to happen here is Philadelphia and their front seven, which is extremely good at defending the run, that one strength that the Eagles have matched up against Seattle. That may potentially force the Seahawks into throwing more, a little bit like what we did on Sunday night this past weekend, where once Seattle was able to pick up some of the blitz that San Francisco was sending at them, they were able to throw the football with relative ease. So if they can sort of negate the pressure that Philadelphia can make up front, if they can't run the football with any success, and they're going to find room throwing the football because this Seattle Seahawks passing attack, you know, one of the five best units in the NFL and, and certainly extremely explosive too, when you're looking at their explosive play rate. So I don't love the prospect here of Philadelphia being able to exploit the weakness in the Seattle secondary. I think this move was well justified based on the number, not a game that I'm going to be involved with, uh, certainly on the side, but a little bit intrigued by the over at the moment. Uh, but this is a number that looks like it maybe has a chance of coming down just a little bit. Nearest key number here is 47. So I'm pretty content waiting to see if this dips just a little bit based on some injury news. But um, nothing on nothing on this one for me just yet. But certainly another number that was really poor. All right. Uh, Adam, just to uh, wrap up here, my questions for you for Wild Card Weekend. Out of the four games, which team you think has the best chance to pull the upset and you wouldn't be totally shocked going into divisional uh, round next week? The best team to pull the upset? Um, it, I, this was last night at the openers. I would have said Seattle. But that's <laughs> out of the window now with their favorite. Um uh, obviously, I, like we mentioned in the first handicap, there's a lot of injury news to come out with Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Fuller and Watt are not able to go, then I think that game sets up really well for Buffalo. But uh, I would go on a bit of a stretch here, and I would say that the team that has the best chance to pull the upset will be the Minnesota Vikings. And I would take the big money line with them if you want to get involved on the side. I like it. I like it. They seem to be one of those teams that everybody's just not looking to bet after what they saw in that Monday night game, and uh, I think you you make a lot of great points. There's some value there, I think, with Minnesota. Chris, uh, your thoughts? Definitely some value there, guys. Adam, before we let you go, we uh, we are running out of time here. Any thoughts on the big picture? Who you got coming out of the NFC? Who do you got coming out of the AFC? And maybe your Super Bowl winner? Yeah. like Kansas City to win the Super Bowl. I think they're the best team in the NFL. I don't have them ahead of Baltimore by a huge margin, uh, but I do have them better. My power rating is 100. I've got KC at a 91. I've got Baltimore at a 90. So not much splitting the two of them, but I think Kansas City um, ends up winning. The chance, uh, potentially, if it sets up that um, Buffalo can go into Baltimore, that's a really bad matchup for Baltimore. Maybe you get the upset. KC gets the home game. 
but I'm just sort of expecting Kansas City to have to go into Baltimore. And I, they already beat them once earlier in the season. I think they do it again. NFC, complete crapshoot. Uh, but what I will say is, if you're listening to this podcast, mark it on your calendar for next Sunday after the Seattle-Philadelphia game when the numbers come out. Whatever number is posted against Green Bay, you want to put that in your account as quickly as possible because that is going to get absolutely smoked regardless of opponent as the Green Bay Packers, one of the most misleading number two seeds in NFL history. So guys that bet the numbers, that one's going to move early and move in a hurry. So if you're keeping an eye out for numbers next Sunday, uh, go against Green Bay. That will be sort of the only tip that I could give in terms of coming out of the NFC. All right, Adam, before we let you go, anything to plug here? Uh, tell the good people where they can find more of your work. Sure. I am on the Simple Handicap every morning. There's about a month left in the show as we go through the Super Bowl every single morning, Apple and Spotify. All right, guys, that was professional handicapper Adam Chernoff, host of the Simple Handicap and NFL contributor to Pinnacle and Matchbook. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Chernoff. Adam, thanks again for calling in and good luck this weekend, my friend. Thanks for having me on, guys. Enjoy the games. Thank you very much. Awesome interview, Adam. Well, that just about wraps it up on this edition of the Wager Pager podcast. We look forward to the year 2020 and more episodes of the Wager Pager podcast. But in the meantime, make sure you get out to the sports books this weekend, put down some bets, cash some tickets, get pumped, get psyched. It's the Wager Pager podcast. That's it for Season 2, Episode 18, and the last show of 2019. Special thanks to our guest, Adam Chernoff. Thanks to my co-host, Brock Landers. And, of course, thanks to the guys here at Van Voorst Films. And, as always, good luck, happy handicapping, and may the gambling gods look gracefully down upon you. Thanks for listening, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Don't forget to leave us a review. And please tell all your friends about the Wager Pager podcast. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Wager Pager. Also, if you or a loved one has a gambling addiction, don't be scared to seek help. You can contact the National Council on Problem Gambling at 1-800-522-4700. They're open 24 hours a day, and all calls and text messages are confidential. The Wager Pager Podcast is co-hosted by Chris Rogers and Brock Landers, executive produced by Van Voorst Films, edited by Van Voorst Films, co-produced by Chris Rogers and Brock Landers, created by Chris Rogers and Mercedes Barba. Music by The Morose Project, produced and written at San Francisco Music Studios. Logo designed by John Carbonella. All picks are for entertainment purposes only. These plays are not financial advice. <laughs>